verses 1 through 14. Once again, John 1, 1 through 14. We've read this text twice now already during this Advent season. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man is coming, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The reason that we've looked at this text these weeks of Advent is that it's a fitting text for anticipating the Feast of Christmas. The season of Advent, the time when we reflect on the condition of our souls in preparation for receiving Christ to us in a new dimension, We've looked this season at the reality that Christ has come, past tense, Christ is coming, and Christ is always present. We focused on these three dimensions of Advent this time together. The first week of Advent, we looked at the is coming dimension of Advent. We looked at the future. Keep watch, our text exhorted us that day. You don't know when the master will return. It could be morning, it could be evening, it could be midnight, or it could be when the rooster crows. So keep watch, for a day of accounting is to come. And it's difficult to maintain a posture of steadfast alertness when the time delays. We looked at that the first week. The second and the third week, we looked at the he is present here coming to us dimension of Advent. Always here. And we looked at our core beliefs versus our stated beliefs and how our core beliefs are often lesser truths. And often we trust in lesser saviors. We looked at the ancient posture of surrender, which invites the people of God to afford the best possibility of deliverance from falsehood and the best possibility of being able to embrace the reality of truth. I encourage us to use that simple diagnostic tool a couple of weeks ago, just to set aside some time and ask yourself, when will life get good for me? When will I be happy? Because that helps us see where our core beliefs tend to deviate from our stated beliefs. Helps us see what lesser saviors we look to for deliverance. And now, this last week of Advent... I want to look through the lens of this same text at the did-already-come dimension. 
In the beginning, the Word was with God. In the beginning, the Word was at rest, at union, at peace with God. But in the beginning, He left that place of union, left on a mission to witness about truth. To come to you and to me and to the host of humanity and to give evidence about light and about life and to talk about the world outside the box of limited and illusory reality that we live in. He was with God and then he was in the world, not with God. He came to help human beings become children of God. He came to help human beings become people who are now born of light instead of darkness. He came to help human beings become people born of goodness, rightness. He came to his people and made his dwelling among us. He came from God. He dwelled with us. Now, we'll come back to our text in a moment, but I want to talk this morning about the feelings that human beings so often have that make an association between Christmas and home, how these two things get integrated in our understanding together. Thoughts of home and thoughts of Christmas are traveling companions. They go together in our thinking as a society. Way back during World War II, there was a song that's become very familiar, I'll Be Home for Christmas recognizing that most who were overseas wouldn't be home. And so the song says, even if it's only in my dreams, I'll be home for Christmas. We hear people say all the time, hey, are you going home for Christmas? Or are the kids coming home for Christmas? There's little spots that they do on television where they will interview some uh, soldier who is in Iraq or Kuwait will have these little 10-second spots to greet their family, and they always talk about in those moments, I can't be home, but I'm thinking of you while I'm not at home. So home. What, is, what does home mean? Let's look at that for a moment together. Is home a Norman Rockwell painting? Is it turkey and grandma and soft colors and a warm house? And is it nice smells? Is the crackling fireplace? Is it the smells of coffee that emanate from the kitchen? Is that what constitutes home? Is home a place? Is home fond memories of grandpa? Is home fond memories of mom and dad? Is home the place of familiarity? Is home the four walls? Or... Is home more of a hope, a wish, a feeling? In my early 20s, I lived uh, in China for a year, and I was homesick around the holidays. And for me, home became a memory. It became memory of holidays that we would spend together, particularly of Thanksgiving, and a meal that we would share at my grandmother's. And it was memories of familiar smells, my grandfather and my uncle always smoked cigars on Thanksgiving, and it was the, the fond feeling that I have for cigar smoke. I might be one of the few in the world that think fondly of that smell. 
It was a family joke that we had together year after year. My grandmother had these turkey-shaped salt and pepper shakers and somewhere along the way had lost the corks that would hold the salt and the pepper in. And so they were using Band-Aids on the bottom to hold the thing in. And every year we would always turn it over and sure enough, there would be Band-Aids and we would laugh and we would make some crude jokes. (laughs) Home summons up a whole lot of things, a whole succession of thoughts and feelings past. But in reality, most of what the holidays and the home feeling summons are things that likely cannot come back to us. The house that you grew up in may still be there, but you are not the person you were when you were there. The people who made that significant and defined home for you, they are also not the people that they were back then. You might be able to get back to the hallway that you remember, and you might be able to get back to the sofa, and you might be able to get back to the kitchen, and you might be able to go back to the staircase that you remember. You might be able to go back to the four walls. You might be able to get the smells back. You might be able to recreate the visual imagery. But home is usually an internal concept rather than an external one. It is something that we carry around in our heart rather than a place that we go to geographically. We may be able to get back into the circumstances, the geography, the real estate. But home is something that's inside of us. And so merely being present in the place is not what home is about. It's not a physical place that makes home. Several years ago when we were living in L.A. and our kids were very small, our family experienced home at a cabin in Bass Lake, California. It's uh, way up by Mammoth, and it was this Beautiful old cabin with a wraparound porch all the way around. And then we were sitting on a hilltop that went down and it was just uh, undeveloped land. And so our children, we just took off their shoes and they were constrained. (laughs) They couldn't get off the porch because when it did, it hurt their feet. So we set up a little wading pool on the porch and we sat there and we rested. And the kids ran around naked and they splashed each other. And we were in this desolate place way off in the middle of no place. We'd never been there before. We've never gone back since, but while we were there, we were together and we had this deep sense of safety, a deep sense of love and a deep sense of security. And we were at home. I imagine that there are families all over the United States right now who are experiencing Christmas time having home together in a trailer or in a hotel room because Katrina destroyed their house or Rita destroyed their house. But the significant people in their lives survived and in their gratefulness for life, in their gratefulness for being together, that they would experience home. I know my wife experiences home with certain regularity. She gets glimmers of it whenever she's on the phone with her sister who's 3,000 miles away. And so there they are in this ethereal place of wires experiencing home because the connection that they make with one another. Well, this 
vague, hard-to-define concept of home and Christmas time have become inextricably linked together in the minds of our culture. We think of Christmas, we think of home. These things travel as good companions. Perhaps that's why so many people are disappointed at Christmas time. Depression rates soar during the holidays. This time of year, it becomes very difficult to deal with some of the emotions that come up. There's an organization, it's called the Mood Disorders Association. They're located in Toronto. They're just one of many who deal with things like this in people's lives. And they report that the number and the severity of people who are depressed increases around Christmas time. And perhaps it's that very yearning for this intangible sense of home that is accentuated at Christmas time that leads to a sense of loss, leads to a sense of disappointment, because there is a thing we want, that sense of connectedness, that sense of home. We want to be home for Christmas. Now, for some of us, that yearning is fulfilled. For some of us, we really do have a station, a place in our lives right now that we walk into this Christmas time feeling a deep sense of home and connectedness. For many, that deep yearning will go unfulfilled. For many, either home doesn't exist anymore, all the significant people are either dead or life has changed, significant events have come, maybe divorce has alienated our parents so they don't see one another any longer. For others, home is a place where pain has just been so characteristic of the time together that we don't want to go back to home. For some, home was never all that great a place to begin with. Perhaps ours was a broken home or worse, a breaking home. So home for many becomes a very tough thing to think about at Christmas time. So consequently, many of us come to this season and rather than having delight, many of us find this to be a challenging, difficult season. Many grieve during this time for what never was. Many long during this time for what once was but now has been lost. And to compound all that, it's Christmas time. This is the time you're supposed to be happy. This is the time you're supposed to have a good time. This is not the time that you're supposed to grieve. So I've spoken with many people who spend a lot of energy during this season stuffing their feelings. And we all know that that works so well. <laughs> that is just a very healthy thing to do. So with that as a context, now... I want to come and look at our text. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was with God. The Son of God, the Christ, the Word, Jesus. In the beginning was with God. Even before there was a win, before there was time that would count the chronology of moments that we reference, when all that was 
was eternalness of past, present, and future wrapped up in singularity. At that moment, the Word was at home. The Word was at union. God was all there was at that time. There was nothing that existed at that moment that wasn't divinity. All that was, was divine. There was no universe. There was just Godness. And this was for God, home. And that's verse 1. In the beginning, the Word was at home. And then, when we get down to verse 10, we say... But then he was in the world. Now, that's different than what had gone before, before he was at home, before he was with God. And then he was in the world. So being in the world is different than being with God, isn't it? He was home and then he was not home. He was with God and then he was in the world. The word, this manifestation of divinity, took on flesh was encapsulated in a structure of bones, had capillaries, had kidneys, had hands, had feet. And he became a foreigner, and he left his home and made his dwelling among us. Now, that word dwelling that's uh, in the text, the Greek word for that is skenu. It means literally tent. So he was tenting with us. He pitched a tent among human beings is what the text tells us. Now, a tent's a lot of things, but it's not home. Well, maybe for someone like Abraham or a nomadic tribe where they move from place to place. But tent is what you live in when you're not at home. It's when you're camping. This is when you live in a tent. Tenting is what you do when you're away from home, not when you're at home. Now, my friend Danny, he has a retirement dream. And his, friend, his retirement dream is to do camping. But when he uses the word, <laughs> he's describing this vehicle in which he goes that is RV. That's what they call it. But this is not what it is, because when he says RV, it doesn't even come close to the image of what it is he has in mind. What he has in mind is an upscale hotel suite with a motor. <laughs> what he has in mind is some small house that moves. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a satellite TV, it's got an internet connection, it's got, it sleeps six, it's got a shower, it's got a full kitchen. This thing has a dishwasher. <laughs> so he has a house that will go down the road in mind. This is not tenting. That could actually be home. This is what he kind of has in mind. The tenting that the Word did was the antithesis of that. The tenting that the Word did was the anti-home. The Word was home, and then the Word was no longer at home. It was an extended road trip in a tent. And not a day went by that he didn't feel that. Not a day went by when he didn't recognize that he was the eternal Son of God. And it's hard to feel settled in. It's hard to feel at home when this is where you've come from. You can hear that in the longing of his voice. Lord, I'll follow you anywhere, someone came up to him and said one time. And then he responded, well, you need to consider what you're asking. Foxes have holes, 
Birds have nests. But I, I don't have a home. I don't have a single place where I can even lay my head. As long as Jesus was in the world, he could never think he was home. So, considering the origins of the celebration that we are about to enter, leaving home was the very point of Christmas. The manger, the earth, the hands, the feet, the kidneys, the whole package, all of it was about leaving home, being away from home. Christmas, at its very core, is about homelessness. Now, it's an odd association that we've made as a society, given that, between being home and celebrating this holy day. Jesus instituted Christmas precisely by not being home or being not home. The word became homeless. He was in the world, but the world didn't even see him, didn't even understand him. He was an exile, a foreigner. And this, this is what Christmas is about. Jesus wasn't home for Christmas. The word of God did not go home for the holidays. And it's because of Jesus' homelessness that every one of us who have a sense of disconnect from the concept of home at this time of year, those of us who can't go home or won't go home or don't want to, those of us for whom hope represents pain instead of comfort, those of us who have lost hope in home are given, afforded, a deep abiding sense of truth and comfort in Jesus' very homelessness. You might have great prospects in the home arena for the next two weeks, but you might not. But whether you do or you don't, sooner or later, every human being loses home as long as they're here on this earth. If you have children at home, they will leave. It's true, I've heard. It's just life that kids grow up and move out. Some move out of their own childhood home only to find themselves unable to replace what it is that they once had. And they find themselves losing their home and not being able to replace it with something else. Some run away from painful homes only to find themselves jumping out of the frying pan into the fire and being able to generate and create a home of their own now that perpetuates its own pain. Even those of us with happy homes must recognize and acknowledge that we will lose them. Many of us have nursing homes awaiting us in the future. We'll be giving our kids power of attorney so that they can sell our assets and pay for our medical care. Home is a transient and a fleeting reality as long as we live on this broken planet. Home will always be eluding us. And when we have it, we only have it for a moment. Life is just that way. For in truth, this world is no more our home than it was Jesus' home. Now, we may feel nostalgic about fond childhood memories, but we must not be deceived. Those things that we experienced were not home. 
We may remember with fondness when the kids were home, when they were young, when they were happy. But we also cannot be deceived. That also is not our home. As long as we live here on this earth, our experiences of home will be slippery, will be elusive, will be fleeting. They'll be merely stand-in moments for something greater that calls forth our hearts. In truth, while we were living on this earth, while we are living on this earth, we cannot go home. Not truly, not in the deepest sense of the word. Our longing will never be fulfilled in a place. Our longing will never be fulfilled in the people that we love, that are so significant and important to us. Our longing will never be filled in stuff in each other. It will never be filled with our kids. It will never be filled with the things that we hold on to fondly in our memories. That sounds like bad news, but in truth, there's great hope in that reality. Those of us who have lost home, those of us who never had it, there's great hope in the reality that this was never our home to begin with. Happy homes are wonderful. I have one. My children have one. I love it. I wax nostalgic for it already, even though it still exists, because I recognize that in two years, three years, five years, the whole world's going to change in my life. They're going to be gone. And I recognize as much pleasure as I derive from this connection of relationships that are so significant to me and important to me, it is merely a momentary pleasure. It's going to be gone in a short amount of time. This is not truly home for me any more than it is for my wife, for my children. If you can't go home, or if you refuse to go home, or if you have no place to go home to this Christmas, if it's not there anymore, if it never was there in truth, the news of Christmas is that Jesus understands that reality. He's been through the same thing himself. And in so doing, he pointed a way for you and me to the place that truly is our homes. Those of us who believe that our homes, our happy homes, are truly home, are deceived. Those of us who believe that they're lost or unhappy homes condemn them to never having a deep sense of home, are equally deceived. Because to all of these, Jesus reveals a greater truth. There's an old country hymn that says this, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. If you can't go home this year, if home represents regrets over the way that things have changed, if you're still at home, but realize that it isn't going to last forever. The news of Christmas is that Jesus understands. Jesus left his home to draw us to ours. Jesus went on a road trip so that you and I could truly experience home. Jesus is alive today making place for you. I go to prepare place for you. 
If that wasn't so, I would have told you. But I'm going there to prepare for you. He has, our text tells us, come so that you and I are afforded the privilege, the right of being the children of God. The children of our Father, God. And He invites His children to their home, to eternal union with Him. This is our story. This is what we celebrate at this time of the year. We were lost, but our God has come for us. He has come, He will come, and He is present now coming. And today we focus both on He has come, but the acknowledgement and the recognition that He is coming to take us home. The amount of years that we get to live on this planet. I was talking with a dear friend just yesterday. And she was looking at her life and she says, you know, I've got longevity in my family. There's a good chance I'll live another 25 years. And I think 25 years ago, that was yesterday. I remember what life was like when I was 25. I'm almost 50 now. I remember what that was like. And it was just yesterday. And another 25 and it's done. This is a vapor, Solomon tells us. This is a wisp of steam. And then it's gone. Our next door neighbor marks on his door jam where his children are at certain stages in their lives. And he says, man, it's going so fast. It's going so fast. They're growing so rapidly and then they'll be gone. And that's just one indicator of the reality that this life is a vapor. And at this time of year, while we focus so much on the externals, here in the house of God, we need to remember a bigger truth. We need to remember that here, right now, this is not it. This is a transient wisp, dream, a shadow. Now, these are broad strokes, truths for people of faith that we were lost. And we are being found. We have no home. Christ has come for us and made a way for us to come home. They're broad strokes truths. But they have specific implications for specific places in our souls today. I've spoken with a lot of people in our congregation. Just in this last three to four months. Who are deeply, deeply disappointed in their homes. Their marriages are a great disappointment to them. Or their lack of marriage is a great disappointment to them. Their children, the choices that they've made that have manifested in these kinds of circumstances, all these things represent struggle and pain and disappointment for many. Many don't think with nostalgia when they go back and consider their childhood. Many carry struggle instead. And given the free will that God affords to the players on this planet, many have made an inventory of their life and said, you know what, I don't think this is going to be changing anytime soon. Given the fact that these significant people in my life have entrenched themselves and made these decisions, there's a very good chance that I'll be looking this time next year at the same set of circumstances that I'm looking at this year. Not much of a chance that my disappointment will be changing anytime soon. 
Now, the message of Christmas is not an exemption from the struggle to make right what is wrong. We spent almost a year talking about the mission that God has given us to step into situations, including our homes, and make right what is wrong. But it is a context for helping us think about the disappointments that happen on this planet. This is a broken planet we live on. These souls that, we, that inhabit our bodies are still broken souls. But God is making whole what is broken. It's just not finished. God will finish it. The process will be completed. And while it is not, this is not our home. But there is one that awaits us. We often sing about Emmanuel during this season. God with us. The day is coming when that will be reversed. It won't be God with us. It will be us with God. It's significant to remember that dimension of our story during this season. We, like the word before time, and like the word now at the culmination of his road trip, we will be with God. And being with God will be our soul's true home. And it's not that long from now. I mentioned what Solomon said. Life is like a vapor. Just a short time from now, we will be home. There awaits for us a place of unbroken union with God. As it was in the beginning, it will be forevermore. That's cause for celebration. That's cause for holiday. That's cause for joy. So, Lord... We await you, our heart's true home. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us during these days when the world seems so large on our screen, when the consuming power of our moments distracts us from the deeper reality. I ask that you would help us have brought to our minds with regularity the reality that this world isn't it. These circumstances are fleeting that my treasure ought not to be stored up on this earth that never will be truly my home. But, Lord, that I would give proper attention and we would give proper attention to the spiritual realities of this world, that we would look deeply within our souls, for truth tells us that this is not what matters. This planet is transient and illusory. Lord, Keep us of the mind and allow that mindset to inform how we walk through this planet. Lord, I pray that the way that we treat others would be informed by the reality that there is a home that awaits us. Lord, I pray that the way that we live in regard to our ethics would be informed by the reality that there is a home that awaits us. Lord, that the way that we think about sacrifice on behalf of others the way that we think about service and the way that we think about kindness and goodness toward a world who is hurting, that those things would be informed by the recognition that we're merely on a road trip for the purposes of establishing your kingdom. And then we go home. I ask that these things would characterize our mindsets.
In Jesus' name, amen.